Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Hey, we're going to go ahead and jump in this morning. As you know, we started our Christmas series last week talking about prepare. We know that we're in a season of preparation, getting ready um, for what we know as Christmas, what we celebrate. And and we looked at the life of Mary last week and how she prepared, but also how God prepared her um, to be used in the season of Christmas. And, And as we realize, the more we study about Mary, we don't know a lot about Mary. And so the character we're gonna look at today is, is Joseph, kind of her counterpart, And what we're also gonna realize is we just thought we knew a little bit about Mary, not much. You're gonna find out today that we know less about Joseph. Now, if you're a man in the room, you know that this is kind of the story of our life, right? Amen. Amen. Think back to your wedding day. Think back to your wedding day. You realize that you were simply just like a, a support cast for that day. One pastor said that on his wedding day, if there was just simply a cardboard cutout of himself, he would have accomplished the same thing. Right? I mean, because we're just sort of there. Ron and Kimmy, y'all experienced, Ron, did you experience it yesterday? These are two lovebirds that just were united in marriage yesterday. So yes, we're excited for them. But also, you know, when you look back in the photo albums of your wedding day, do you ever hear people talk about, man, that is one sharp looking tux you got on. Dude, your hair looked awesome. No, we're just the support cast. So the fact that we know a whole lot or or we know more about Mary than Joseph, that's just kind of the norm. So let's just get used to it, okay? But man, I don't know about you, but what I'm thinking you're gonna feel at the end of this day is we're gonna kind of shift gears. We're gonna focus a lot on Joseph today, but by the end of this message, you're gonna wish we would have just simply focused on Mary. Okay, because I've been beat up all week with this message and what I've learned from from what little we know about Joseph. But what we're gonna see is, is how Joseph prepared for Christmas, but also how God prepared him to be used in this Christmas season. Very similar to the character of Mary, we realize that that he was too from Nazareth. He was poor. He had no power. He didn't have a a tremendous influential family heritage. And you know what we love is what we celebrated last week. To a worldly, from a worldly perspective, when you look at that resume of what Joseph had to offer, it really wasn't a lot. But what we shared last week about Mary is that I believe that when God's looking at those type resumes, He says, that's perfect. That's perfect. Because I wanna do the miraculous through the nobody. I wanna do the miraculous 
through the one who has no power, who has no authority, who has no influence, just so that I will get the glory, so that it'll be about me. And what we're gonna see is how God had prepared Joseph is also the very reason that he chose to use Joseph. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew chapter one. And while you're turning there, I just sort of, sort of wanna fill you in on how today is gonna go. Now, last week was, was kind of like the, the, the preacher's outline. We had four points. We had all of those things that we talked about, Mary. I just wanna go ahead and, and get this out there today. There, there is no four-point message to follow. I'm gonna be throwing up a lot of information on you. And what you're gonna see is in the very beginning, I believe this first thing that we're gonna talk about today is something that all of the believers can latch on to, that we can all examine our life through. But then about midway through, we're gonna shift gears. And we're gonna shift gears and we're gonna turn our, so, our focus solely to the men and what our responsibility is and what we can learn from the testimony of Joseph and how God used him. And what I'm hoping today is that men leave here today understanding your responsibility, but also knowing that God has entrusted you with something very, very, very valuable to him. And so I wanna read first in Matthew chapter eight or chapter one, verses 18 and 19. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. Now, that word betrothed is something that we would define as being engaged. However, an engagement in, in the biblical context was was a little bit different than what we would consider being engaged. Because for someone to be engaged in this context, they would have actually taken vows. They would have actually done what we do in our marriage ceremonies. And then for, actually, uh, for an engagement to be broken off, they would have had to need legal counsel. Like there would have to be a, a legal divorce to end that engagement. And so we know that that many of us could probably share in this room that that's not the case this day and age. You get engaged, if you realize, hey, this ain't working out, what do you do? Just get the ring back, right? We don't have to go through the legal ramifications of, of breaking off an engagement. It was a little more serious, a little more serious in the context of which we're reading. And then when the, then the wedding ceremony would come, you would have the groom who would, who would have his house prepared for the wedding feast, then he would parade along with a lot of people through the city and they would go to the bride's house and he would retrieve her and bring her back to his home where this wedding feast had been prepared and then the celebration would begin. So even back in that day and age, the wedding still was a very, very, very big deal. A lot went into it. The groom carried a lot of responsibility in the preparation for that day. So what I wanna do is kind of paint the picture and sort of fill in some details that really that we're uncertain about, but we believe that this is pretty close to what was going on. You gotta realize that they're getting very close to that wedding day. 
So Joseph would have put a lot of effort in in preparing his home, preparing this feast, preparing for this celebration day for this for his chosen one, the one he loves, the one that he would do anything in the world for. Now, what we've got to keep in mind is Joseph did not know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. All he knows is that he has prepared for this, this woman he loves. He's ready to be united with her in marriage. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he finds out that his soon-to-be wife is pregnant. Keep in mind, he did not know the rest of the story. All he knew is that his better half had conceived a child and what he did know is it was not his. So can you imagine all of the emotion that Joseph was wrestling with? Can you imagine all of the things that he was processing in his mind? Because what I think we fail to recognize a lot of times is that, that Joseph was a real man, that he was just like me, he was just like you. And so when he finds out this news, there was probably an element where he was crushed, where his heart was broken where his world was turned completely upside down because of what he thought his better half had done to him. And so in this culture, this was a very, very serious offense. So now Joseph is left with some decisions to make because you see in this society, in that culture, there was no second chance. Like there was no grace. Like she was gonna face death because of what had taken place. And so Joseph had a decision to make. Joseph could just get even with her. He could leave her, publicly shame her. And in their terms, he could divorce her because of what she had done. He could openly disgrace her in front of all of his community, in front of their community. But the other option that he's got is he can, he can choose to stay with her and now by default, guess who's guilty for her consummation of this child? He is. And so now he is as guilty as she is in the world's eyes. Now he's crossed the line of adultery, the same that the world is thinking that Mary has done. And so it's almost like Joseph's in this no-win no situation. If he leaves her, publicly embarrasses her, she's destroyed. If he stays with her, his testimony and his witness is destroyed. And so... The question that we have to ask, the thing that we can all as believers evaluate, when we're hurt, when somebody breaks our heart, when somebody mistreats us, when somebody rejects us, when somebody looks past us, how do we respond? 
How do we respond? Because our culture teaches us it's time to get even, right? Our culture teaches us it's time to get even once we're hurt, once we've been left out, once we've been looked over, once our motives have been judged. Now it's time to get even. And so maybe Joseph's first response in his mind was, you know what, I'll get the last laugh. I'll show her. I may be crying now, but she's gonna be crying when I get finished with her. I'm gonna disgrace her because his pride was hurt. And so the first response that we in our flesh have when we get hurt is to hurt back. You've heard the saying, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. You have been a, you've been hurt before, believe it or not, as a result of someone else getting hurt. Because another saying that we always hear is misery loves company. Well, if I'm hurting, I'm gonna make somebody else hurt with me. Because that misery loves that company. But if we as the church, as we as Christians, if, if we could just slow down long enough and realize and, and examine that there's a reason that people are hurting other people, it's because somewhere in their journey, they've been hurt. But what we notice about Joseph as he didn't look to have a heart of revenge. Do you know that how we respond to hurting people can actually bring healing to that hurting person? How we respond to hurting people that intentionally hurt us, do you understand that that could be part of God's process at bringing them healing? I've shared this story before and it's not even in my notes, so my time's already gonna go over, but y'all can get over that. I don't even know when we're meeting on Christmas day, so it is what it is. But I remember when our oldest son Brock was in, I don't know, third or fourth grade, it was right before we moved down here to Chestnut Mountain. There was this child in his class, for lack of better words, and I know I don't like to throw this word out a lot, so I'm not gonna say it, but he treated Brock very poorly. I don't want to use that word bullying because we got to be careful with that word. And as a dad, Brock would come home crying about how this kid was treating him. And so as a dad, you know what I do, right? Well, buddy, let's pray. But no, I did not. No. Brock. Take care of him. He won't be mean no more. But I guess my son was more of a righteous man. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute than daddy was. So as far as I knew, this, this young man continued to treat my son very, very poorly. So we move, we come to Chestnut Mountain and we took the kids back to Mount Vernon Elementary School after a season of us being gone. And it was at the very end of the school year and that young man who had mistreated my oldest son. What was the recognition, Chelsea? Do you remember? What you remember from elementary school. He was fifth grade. And this little boy talked about how Brock treated him. 
that Brock loved him. That Brock never responded in his flesh the way that you and I, the way that daddy was trying to teach him to respond in his flesh. But what we've realized is some part of that young child was hurting. I don't know what he was coming from at home. I don't know what he was living in when he would go home. I don't know how people were treating him at school, but he thought, you know what? I'm hurting, so I'm going to hurt Brock. But instead of Brock responding in that way, he loved that kid unconditionally. And I believe with everything in me, that began some of the healing process in that little boy's heart. So we see that this is the response of Joseph. He didn't act out with a heart of revenge. And I don't know about you, but I got to ask the question. He just found out his wife is pregnant. It's not his kid. So how in the world did he treat her with love and respect? And was just going to send her away quietly so she wouldn't be disgraced. So that she wouldn't be humiliated. Many of you know the story when we found out we were pregnant with Easton, who just turned a year old. My wife comes to me weeping, squalling, and I thought somebody had died. And I said, honey, you got to tell me what's wrong. She said, I'm pregnant. And I said, well, why are you so upset? And she said, I don't want you to hate me. And you know, super spiritually, I said, well, honey, the only reason I'm going to hate you is if this is somebody else's baby. <laughs> that is the very reason God didn't call on Brian Hall to be Joseph. It would have been done. I'm out. I'm humiliating her. See ya. I'm gone. But we see that, that Joseph didn't have this heart of revenge. So we asked the question, how did he respond this way? Verse 19 tells us how he responded that way. He was declared a righteous man. Now, obviously, after the birth, death, and burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, this righteousness now is only found in Christ. And so from the Jewish law, from Old Testament, we know that righteousness is defined a little bit differently. So in the context of Joseph's story, what we realize is that for him to declare a righteous man, here's what, here's what he would have been living out. The one who chooses God's commands over his desires. Listen to this. The one who drives himself to do good or right, even when he doesn't feel like it. The one who desires to do right, even when our flesh does not feel like it. And so the reason that Joseph was declared a righteous man is because he extended the heart of God to somebody that he thought had wronged him. Somebody who had turned their back and rejected him in his mind. He extended the heart of God. He extended the heart of grace. He extended mercy. He extended forgiveness, even when it appeared that he had been mistreated. Now, I think we can all agree that to make a decision like that, it's going to take a lot of discipline. Or am I the only one? It's going to take a whole lot of discipline to make that type of decision. But we see that that too is what Joseph had. In verse 20, 
But when he had considered this, that word consider is the same word ponder, which means that he was revolving this in his mind. He was thinking about all of his decisions. He was thinking about all the ways that he could have responded. He was thinking about all the ways that he could have acted out, how he was truly feeling. But we know how that decision fell. It fell in the fact that he extended God's heart to someone who had wronged him. So I have to ask myself the question, how much more would I reflect the love of God if I considered my response before I acted out? How much more would I reflect the love of the Father if I would consider my response before I activated my response? How do we respond when the waitress messes up at the restaurant? How do we respond when somebody cuts us off on the road? (laughs) How do we respond when our spouse has done something that we think is wrong? Do we consider our response or do we just simply act out? Do we think about it? Do we ponder it? Do we step away and and count to 10? (laughs) I believe that works. But how much more would our life reflect the love of God if we would consider a response before we just acted on it? And so now we see that Joseph has considered his response. He's not gonna embarrass her. He's gonna do everything he can to to respect her. And so then the angel of the Lord reveals to him the rest of the story. And so up to this point, we've seen that Joseph has prepared to have the heart of God. He's prepared because he's extended the very thing that he knows that God has extended to him. But he's also gonna use this in leading what we're gonna see in his family in just a moment and loving people unconditionally. Keep reading. Look at Matthew chapter one, verse 20 through 25. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has, seen, who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And then he called his name Jesus. Now here's where we're gonna sort of shift gears. And we're gonna turn the attention to to the men in the room, but here's what I want you to make sure, ladies, don't check out. 
don't check out because maybe you're a lady here who's, who's looking for that significant other. I would hope that you would take the example of what Joseph is gonna betray and that that's what you would be looking for and who God has for you. Or maybe you are a wife here today. Maybe you can use this as a tool to, to pray for your husband. Now look, don't be nudging him the whole time. Don't be poking him the whole time. What would it look like if you would consider first? See, we're already being able to apply what we've learned. Reach over and grab his hand. Don't squeeze it really hard, but just brush it a little bit. That lets him know, okay, she doesn't hate me. <laughs> but maybe it will open your eyes and your heart on how to pray for that one. Or maybe you can say, you know what? This is what my husband's doing. This is how he's leading my family. Lean over and whisper in his ear and tell him thank you. So don't check out as we get ready to hammer the men from the word of God. So as you've seen, there's been kind of this informational dump in this dream that Joseph has when the angel is speaking to him. And so we see that immediately he wakes from the dream. He does exactly what the angel has, a, has a shown him in the dream. He takes Mary to be his wife. And then it says he gives the child the name Jesus. Now that's something a lot of times we just skip right over. But what we have to realize is then in verse 21, he's given the instruction, you're gonna call him Jesus. But then in 25, we see that that's exactly what they end up doing. Why this is so important is names were a very big deal in this culture. Names were a very big deal because what it did, it gave the, the father an opportunity to pass on his heritage, to pass on his lineage. And there was that part of that father, that prideful element of a father that he knew that if my son will continue to carry out my name, ultimately it's gonna mean that I'm, I'm known and that I'm respected in the community because that child is carrying my name. He knows me. They know, they know him as a result of how good of a father I am. And so it was very, very important that when we name a child certain things, it, it kept that connection between the father and the child. And ultimately, it would continue to be passed on and it would keep the grandchildren connected to the grandfather, the great-grandchildren connected to the great-great-grandfather. And we see that it was just something that men desired because all men are born with the heart to be respected and known. That's just something in our DNA. That's something in the way that we are wired. And so by Joseph naming Jesus, Jesus, what this was taking place was this was allowing there to be no connection to Joseph. In other words, Joseph would get no credit for the fathering of Jesus. And I truly believe that that's a big part of why we don't know a whole lot about Joseph. Because ultimately, this story is not about Joseph. This story is about Jesus. And so what we can already tip our hat to, what we can already respect and admire about Joseph is that Joseph was more concerned about God's recognition than his own. Joseph was more concerned that God would get praise, that God would get glory for what Jesus was doing than himself. That's another reason he was declared a righteous man. And many of you have heard, and I hope you've 
latched on to this, that this is the heartbeat of our church. This is the very reason on build day, I encourage you, don't mention Chestnut Mountain. Because we don't want Chestnut Mountain robbing what is rightfully God's. And so as a dad, we have to to evaluate our lives. Is that something that we're willing to do? And what I mean by saying that, are we willing to train up our children in such a way that they are the reflection of Christ rather than the reflection of us? Are we willing to surrender our children so that God gets glory rather than us getting the glory? Because the truth is, Brian Hall's name doesn't have the ability to save anyone. Your name doesn't have the ability to save anyone. Matter of fact, the name Jesus literally means Jehovah saved. And so as a man, As a father, do we realize that our role is to train up our children to be carriers of the name Jesus? That's it. Our role is to raise our children to be carriers of the name of Jesus Christ. And the reason that I love that about What happened to Brock in the fifth grade? Ain't got nothing to do with me. What my son showed that young man was how Jesus loves Brock. Because I can tell you, my flesh didn't want to love him that way. If I've ever wanted to hammer a little fifth grader into a board, it was that day. But Brock considered how he would respond. And so Joseph, we would believe here, was taking all of this into consideration. But what I love about Joseph is not only was he willing to give up his name, not only was he willing to be obedient to what the angel of the Lord had spoken to him, but he was also ready to train baby Jesus to live it out. He was ready to train up baby Jesus to live out the name that he was given. I want you to turn to uh, the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. And we read just first in verse 39 and it says there, it says when they, it's talking about Mary and Joseph, when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city in Nazareth. Now, what it's talking about there that they performed everything is they were performing everything in that. They were taking Jesus to the temple. They were presenting him so for his circumcision so they could follow the Jewish law that they were already being obedient to what they knew God was calling them to do with their child. I often look at this as almost like what we consider baby dedication. Yes, they were dedicating their child, but I think a lot of this had to do with that on that moment, Mary and Joseph were committing to raise this child up in the house of the Lord. They were committing themselves, not only Jesus, but they were committing themselves. And so I want you to keep reading. 
And look at verse 40. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now, there's so much, men, that we can learn from these two verses. Because the fact that they, they bring Jesus to the temple, then it says they returned home. What we always have to realize is that, uh, I'm gonna get ahead of myself, I'm gonna come back to that in a minute. But it says they returned home. Do you remember the day that you left the hospital with your child? Maybe your first child? The scariest moment of your life. You know, you're, having the, you're in the hospital. Those nurses, they need anything. They're, they're at the door. They're doing all that stuff. Then all of a sudden, they throw you in a car. They say, see you. Have a wonderful life. What do, I, what, do I, what do I do with this thing in the back? He or she's crying right now. This is your job. Aren't you going with us? You realize that when Mary and Joseph returned home, they were returning home with a baby boy that they were entrusted to raise, that they were entrusted to train up. Do you understand the responsibility that they walked away with? This is the son of God. And we have the responsibility to train this child up, to live a life in which he's able to save the world? Can you imagine the burden that they left with? But there's so much we can learn just from this passage and what our responsibility is. Because the first thing that we notice is this, that the child continued to grow and become strong. So as little baby Jesus began to, to walk, because guess what? He had to learn to walk, he had to learn to talk, he had to learn to read, all of those things, because he was fully 100% man. But he became strong. So you gotta ask the question, well, well, how did Jesus become strong? How did he grow? Mary and Joseph fed him. It's not rocket science. So how did he become strong? And here's where I, I really wanna focus. I believe with everything in me, the reason that Jesus Christ, the son of God became physically strong is because daddy trained him up. Daddy taught this young man to become a man. Daddy taught this little boy to be a man the way that God intended him to be a man. And I believe that, that Joseph would have taken Jesus under his wing because as we later know, Jesus was what? A carpenter. Guess what daddy was? He was a carpenter. And so we see that what Joseph was doing, we would love to believe that he was teaching Jesus the skills of carpentry, that he was teaching him the, the discipline of hard work, that he was teaching him the discipline to be responsible, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. I don't believe that there was a whole lot of pampering and coddling going on. And can we all agree if there's anybody that deserved to be pampered and coddled, it's the son of God. Can you imagine trying to discipline him? 
That's a whole nother conversation for another day. But what I love about the heart of Joseph, what, what is so humbling is what we can learn from Joseph is this. Dads, we need to be spending time with our children so that they will learn the ethic of hard work. We need to be pushing our children not to sit on the couch and just sit there with their hands open for handouts. We need to be as dad teaching our children to work for what you get. We need to be teaching the disciplines of hard work, the disciplines of responsibility. Because can I tell you, if we as men aren't training our little boys up for this way, can I tell you right now the world's going to? If we're not training them up, if we're not following our biblical mandate, there's a lying and a deceitful world who is waiting to shape and mold your son. So either you're gonna do it or the world is. Either you're going to do it or the world is. And so I know you all laugh at me a lot of times because going back four years ago, I think Cooper had just learned to walk. I put a blower on his back. I was kidding about that learn to walk. Y'all completely missed that joke. He would have been like 10. But what I loved about it is I watched, loved watching Brock and Cooper begin to, to realize, hey, we gotta work for it. Now, don't get me wrong, Cooper, he was about this big and he would put that blower on and it blew him more than he blew the grass. <laughs> but on those 90 degree days, those little boys knew, hey, I need to work for what I'm gonna get. Now, there's plenty of other areas that I fell in but I'm gonna teach them how to work. I know a lot of you, I would get text messages from all of you and you would talk about child labor laws and all that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, I don't know why I went down that route, but, but when we talk about a man training a boy up in the way to work, that's something that we can get fired up about. That's something that we can get emotional about because we can say, yeah, I agree, my boy's gonna work. But at the same time, not only did he grow in strength, but he also grew in increasing wisdom. He also grew in increasing wisdom. Now I know this kind of piggybacks off what we talked about, but wait a minute, this is, this is God. This is God in the flesh. So doesn't he already know everything? Doesn't he already know how to build a house? I mean, he's God. There's nothing he doesn't know. And that's where we have to remember what we discussed several weeks back. And I found this statement that sort of sums it up, that helps us remind ourselves of while he was 100% God, he was still 100% man. It reads this way. Jesus, being fully God, humbled himself to the point of being an infant and gradually this human abilities were developed and increased through, yes, the Holy Spirit's power and guidance. To assume that Jesus lost his omniscience or ceased to be God is incorrect. Jesus voluntarily suspended the use of those qualities 
and subjected himself to the natural way every human learns. If you're anything like me, that really makes my head hurt. Because like I try to make sense of that and that's something that's hard to make sense of. But yes, while he was 100% God, he was still 100% man. And so Mary and Joseph were given the responsibility to teach and to train up the Son of God to be the Son of God. Yes, obviously through the power of the Holy Spirit. However, there was some life application that Mary and Joseph were entrusted with. And so while we love to talk about and get fired up about, yes, that Joseph taught Jesus how to be a carpenter, we also know that Joseph instilled in Jesus the spiritual training that he needed. He instilled in him the spiritual training he was needing. Now, according to the scripture, we do know that the Holy Spirit was the one who teaches us, who's teaching even the Son of God, but I don't want us to miss Joseph's role in that. Look at Luke chapter two and keep reading what it said in verse 41. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now, this was a Jewish tradition. This is something that they did all the time. And yes, they did it once a year. And I know there's a lot of dads in the room that you're going, man, if I only had to go to church once a year, sign me up. I can be disciplined to that. But what we've got to do is we've got to understand it's much deeper than that. They were instilling in Jesus the religiosity of what it meant to follow God, to, to do the things that we are challenging our homes to do. And that's to be in the house of God when we have the ability to be in the house of God. But I want you to keep looking. Look at verse chapter four. Go to chapter four, flip over two pages. Chapter four, verse 16. And he, talking about Jesus. Now keep in mind, this is gonna be later in Jesus' life. And he came, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, as was his habit, as was his norm, as was his religion, as was something that he did on a very regular basis. And so we see that he, he continued to do these things. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And what was his custom? He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read. So you say, well, what, what does all that say? The fact that Jesus was going to the synagogue, the, the fact that Jesus was going to church, and the fact that he was doing it on the Sabbath was Jesus' norm. This was Jesus's habit. This is what he did regularly. This is what he did very often. And can I tell you this morning, guess where Jesus learned that? Jesus learned it from daddy. Jesus learned it from daddy. That church is a priority. That church is something that we need to be committed to. But Joseph not only took the responsibility of understanding that, but we also know that Joseph took the responsibility to lead them there, to take them there. And so we have to ask the question, 
Dads, what habits are we teaching our kids? Joseph was teaching, teaching Jesus, the son of God, that one of his habits needed to be that he should be in the house of God when the doors were open. This was something he was instilling in his child. But dads, what habits are we teaching our children? What habits are we instilling in our children? Because we know that it says that Jesus continued to grow in wisdom. And while we also know that Joseph was a big responsibility for pouring into Jesus spiritually, he was also making sure that Jesus was in the right place to get it. And by Jesus' testimony, by Jesus' teachings, we know that he grew in wisdom. We know that he sat under the teaching of God's word. And we also know that he became sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I would be led to believe, guess where Jesus learned to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Daddy. Daddy. Dad, do you realize the responsibility that the Almighty God has entrusted you with? And he has dads. That weight gets pretty heavy at times. Because if you're like me, you have a lot to look at. I mean, we've got ages from 15 to one. So I can look at all like aspects of, of this maturity process. And I can see in some of my kids where, where I have failed. When can, I can see them act out before they consider the response. Guess where they learned it? Dad. Dad. You know, I shared this before and it was actually two summers ago. I was, had the boys during the summer. We were cutting yards. And as a dad, I, and as a, well, just a worker in general, when I get there, it's time to start. Y'all seen the movie, The Christmas Story, when he gets so excited about changing the tire? You wanna see how fast he can do it? That's me. It's like almost as soon as we pull up to the yard, it's like on your mark, get set, go. Let's see how fast we can unload the trailer. See how fast we, we jump in the truck. How long did it take us? And I'll never forget one day I was in that mindset of we gotta hurry, we gotta get done. And one of the pieces of, I think it was a weed eater had messed up and I couldn't get it fixed. I was angry. And so Cooper 
was the responsible one. He was holding it when it messed up. So of course he's to blame, right? And so as a dad, I, I reached over and I grabbed him. I said, it's okay, little buddy. Don't, no, I did not do that. I yelled at him. I was angry at him. Because remember, I was ready to get this thing knocked out. But if you know Cooper, Cooper didn't say a word. And we get back in the truck and I had just let him have it. I was mad, I was angry, I was frustrated. But I look over in the truck beside me and there's my little 11 year old at the time. He didn't say a word, he was just looking forward. And I just saw this big tear roll down his face. Had I considered my response? And now when I see my children get angry with each other, when I see them yell, when I see them scream, guess where they learned it? Daddy. What are we teaching our children? What habits are they seeing in us? And so this morning, what we can learn from Joseph is we can see how Joseph was prepared as a righteous man to have the heart of God. But this is where I sort of struggle with today because with a response like this morning, I, it's gonna be different. Because I think for all the believers in the room, we can take what we talked about at the very top of how do we respond when we're hurt? And maybe you as a follower of Christ today, maybe you've been hurt in recent days. How did you respond? Did you consider it? Did you ask for the Holy Spirit's direction? Or did you just lash out? And maybe you need to simply fall on your face and repent. Or maybe you need to go to that individual that you lashed out towards and say, I'm sorry. I didn't extend God's heart to you the way that it's been extended to me. Or maybe we can look at the father examples. And maybe today, if you're a wife here and your husband reflects this. Let him know. Let him know. Dads, maybe as you reflect on yourself, if you're anything like me, you realize how, how short we've come. And maybe you need to to grab your wife by the hand. Maybe you need to grab your children. And you need to apologize and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I failed you. I'm sorry I'm not living out the responsibility that God has entrusted me with. Or maybe wives today, you hear the responsibility that your husband's carrying. When's the last time you've let him know that you're praying for him? Or maybe you're that wife here today that 
Your husband's not leading. Can I encourage you? Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. I'm thankful that my mom didn't stop praying. But I think the way that we're gonna respond this morning is a little bit different. We're not gonna stand to our feet immediately. But I just feel compelled that we need to spend some time in prayer today. Maybe we need to repent for hurting others because we've been hurt. Or maybe we just need to pray over that husband. We need to thank that husband. And so that's exactly what we're gonna do. Is it gonna be uncomfortable? Yeah. And nobody may move. And if you don't, I'm gonna pray you get your heart right. I'm just kidding. But I think there's something that all of us can respond to by looking at the example of Joseph. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.